Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 146. This cast is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my two co-hosts and a special guest. We have Jim Casali of CoolStuffInc.com back on the cast as always. We have Ed Wynn, fresh off of GPDC, working with Tales of Adventure. And we have a guest this week, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Nick C. Uh, I'm from Australia, and I'm an online retailer called mtgmate.com.au. Yep. So Ed wanted to bring someone on who may have a different perspective on what's going on in the magic world. As you know, we've had people on in the past that represent a broad global interest for MTG finance. And I guess we are expanding from Europe to down under. Um, there's been a lot that's happened over the past two weeks. We've had Modern Horizons come out. We already apparently have like half of M20 spoiled at this point. Um, Jim, is there anything you've noticed right off the bat with Modern Horizons when it comes to cards that you're trying to pick up or general price trends? I mean, honestly, it's only the first day and there's so much stuff and there's like still more stuff coming out as I'm speaking. Like I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed to see if I missed anything. And like there's a bunch of new cards that I haven't seen yet. Um, I think that like it's interesting to see that they're not afraid about reprinting cards that like needed reprints for modern so like Leyline of sanctity is in the set and that will obviously have a impact on the price of that card uh they've also spoiled Leyline of combustion which i think is new so uh i'm i'm not sure if you have like Leyline of the void if you really want to keep those uh i've heard that some people have had trouble uh trying to buy list any any kind of ley line at this point because there is some kind of, uh, you know, a, a lot of people think that, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable for Leyline of the Void to be in this set. Uh, and I, honestly, I don't think it's that unreasonable to be in the, that it would be in the set either. It's not a card that's going to see a ton of play in Standard, and it is a card that is quite expensive in Modern and Legacy. Um, there's a lot of gold cards in this set, which is kind of surprising so far. Uh, I don't know if it's just like they've just happened to swell a lot of gold cards, or there's a higher complexity level than we're used to seeing in most core sets. Uh, there's like a lot of elemental synergy things, so that could be something you might need to keep an eye out for. Um, Omnath is really the only kind of card, like the uh, the red-green Omnath is really the only kind of card that comes to mind immediately that's like screams elementals, but uh, there might be just cards that are elementals that happen to be good in, this, in, the, in the deck that these other uh, cards are being made for. Um... But I don't, I don't, I like it's too early to say, you know, oh, this is for sure going to be good or this is for sure going to be bad. But this definitely doesn't look like an average core set. It looks a lot closer to Magic Origins in terms of like the diversity of the cards that are included in it. Ed, with the ley lines that we've seen spoiled so far, do you think players are going to be enchanted with this set? Or do you think that so far, based off pre orders, it's not worth the hype or spoilers? Um, I think core sets are generally 
going to be fairly consistent in what they are. Um, even though Jim had mentioned there's more multicolored, there's more oddities, things that would make the set appear a little bit more complex than usual. I think corsets do feel a very good uh, role, being kind of a smaller scale summer set. It doesn't necessarily need to be the most complex or the most competitive. Um, it's probably a good avenue for them to reprint cards that are kind of hard to slot somewhere else. The ley lines are are a perfectly acceptable place for that. They, they, they're they always not going to break standard in any way, and it kind of saves up a slot in a commander deck or something where they would might otherwise want to reprint a similar type card. Um, I Again, I don't think that anything will be really groundbreaking if we look back at Core 2019. Um, there are definitely some really good cards that came out of it. There's still plenty of cards that are worth money. Uh, Nickel Bulls Ravager is trending up. Uh, Johnny... Uh, Crucible's doubled. Crucible has gone up quite a bit, yes. Um, a lot of these cards are more or less the same price, slash slightly higher, slash slightly lower. The price hasn't deviated greatly from when the set first came out and stabilized. Uh, I think part of that is due to not many people opening the set compared to other sets this year, compared to War and Spark, for example. Um because again, it's during the summer. It's at the time where magic probably isn't high on people's priority list. So the this the set will just be like any other core set. I don't think anything will be better or worse than other core sets. It's it'll just be another core set. Uh, hopefully, it'll kind of breathe some life into standard because standard does tend to get a little stale towards the end. But again, at this point, people are basically just rotating, waiting for rotation. Hoping that you know we can finally be rid of you know mono red, search for Scanta, all these kind of various things that have more or less dominated the standard scene for the better part of a year now. From a speculative standpoint, how does your friend feel about raging Ferocidon getting unbanned for the last two months of its life with all this life gain that we've seen spoiled Ed? That's one of me. Um... What does that card even do? It's the, is, it the, is it the dinosaur that, like, the, the players can't gain life? Whenever yeah, it deals one damage when a guy enters the battlefield and players can't gain life. Gain life. And I think it has, it's a 3-3 three, three menace. It's the weirdest card on the ban list. Is it going to get unbanned, or...? I'm saying, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like, you know, this card's basically a bulk rare? Is this something you want to pick up? Or are you just not worried about, you know buying this and just worrying about other ways to make money in the world. Man, that's a really great question you asked our guest, Jeremy. There's so much to say about it from a financial point of view. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, so with, with the online store, I tend to pick up bulk rares wherever I can. Um, we can sell pretty much anything through the online store, so people do want to buy Rampaging Ferocidons, and that's great. And if they don't, then I'm happy to sit on a whole pile of them until something happens with them. Um, it wasn't a card that we had a huge amount of. I opened the online store with very limited amount of Ixalan stock anyway, so it wasn't like something that I bought into a lot of sort of my red players to buy and then got stuck with at the end of it. So I probably wouldn't be trying to pick up copies of it, but I'm not going to say no if they appear in bulk boxes. Ed, do you think that you're going to be able to make money off of this, or are profits going to quickly become extinct? God, you are trying so hard with these puns, and they are so bad. 
And I like anyone that's not watching the video, like Jeremy's Jeremy's grin is going from year to year. He looks like the fucking Joker. <laughs> it's been so long. We uh we missed one whole week. I know. So you you double like, the it's like you were just like all stopped up. It's like <laughs> you got you gotta get them all going and they're just they're just worse than usual, I think. I think that's the issue that I'm having. Is they're like they're usually pretty bad, but today they're just especially bad. <laughs> Ed, thoughts on rampaging for Asadon? Um, I I don't really see the point in being overly concerned about it. I like even if we were to get unbanned tomorrow, right? And like Mono Red is becomes any better than it already is. It's leaving in three months, anyways. It's probably not modern playable. Uh, sure, it might go from being bulk rare status to four dollars, three, four dollars tops, whatever. Um, I wouldn't think too much of it. I think it's you know I, I certainly don't have any. I wouldn't care to buy any. If I had any, I would I would have sold them already. Um, I don't really think it has a huge impact one way or another. All right. So we brought our guest on to talk about a specific type of finance, um, namely the bulk market down down under. I guess. Um, do you want to sort of explain how you went from grinding magic cards to opening a shop and how arbitrage plays a role down in Australia versus say a place like the United States? Yeah. Okay. So I, um, I got into magic when I was about 16. So I think dark steel had just come out at that point. And, um, I just really got into trading sort of as a, a means to like get new decks and that kind of thing. Um, there was a pit, there was a particular backpack uh, trader at the store that I used to go to. And um, I ended up moving in with him and he sort of taught me what to do and stuff like that. And we had a pretty, pretty good arrangement. He sort of drifted away from the game for a period of time, but I got to leverage all of his inventory to trade for sets and the deal was that anything that I got more than four of, I could keep. So when like Tarmogoyf came out, if I got five Tarmogoyfs, that was one in my set and four in his. Um, I sort of always had a bit of a passion for it. We ended up splitting our collections down the line and then that was about the time that I started uh, a full-time job uh, post my university degree. And so I had a little bit more capital sort of start sinking money into cards and stuff like that. And I used to work with... Uh, a company called Next Level Games. They own a franchise of games in Australia. And so I would help them out with their events and stuff like that. And then after doing a few years of that, uh, my job uh, running software finished up and I thought it was finally a good chance to um, launch my own online store. It's something I sort of wanted to do for a while. Hadn't had a chance to and, you know, not having a job was, I guess, the push, the push I needed. Oh. That's good to hear. Um, what would you say is like the weirdest part when it comes to buying bigger collections down in Australia for your online show? Like, are players using Star City Games to look at buy list prices, for example, and retail prices, or is there this own version of Australia's TCG player that everyone uses to price cards down there? Yeah, okay. So probably the biggest pricing metric in Australia is SCG. Uh, most people tend to use SCG and they just don't apply uh, conversion rates. This sort of started like back in 2003, I think, when SCG had their, their iPhone up. 
because um, it was just a really efficient way to like look up prices. And our dollar was not very far off the US dollar. And that never changed. Now dollar kept getting worse and worse and worse. And like between private, like private individuals selling cards, it's very common to do SCG one-to-one. It's a very common phrase in Australia. Um, a lot of the local stores, um, they don't price their own cards, so they just use SCG and add the full conversion rate onto it. Um, when it comes to like buying collections, uh, some people like they will just say like, "I want to sell my collection. I want to sell it at SCG one-to-one." which isn't always the best because sometimes that works out to about TCG player converter because there's such a big spread, spread in cards. I have like my own buy list um, on my website that people are either happy to use or they don't. They just, cards come in, sometimes they don't. Um, and then when it sort of comes to like buying big collections, um, it's just like a thing of experience. I sort of, you, ha- you can see what's in a collection, get a feel for like there's going to be, you know, if there's, worth of cards over $10 and there's probably going to be X amount of cards under $10 also in that collection as well. I think one of the most interesting things that Nick hasn't really touched on is whenever, uh, whenever I go to Australia for a vacation, I guess, um, I noticed that cards are generally quite expensive there. Part of that is the exchange rate has gone worse and worse for the AUD. And it's also um, Australia really suffers from island syndrome, right? Very much the same way that Japan does, very much the same way England does, in the sense that one, they're all three of them are literally islands. And two, they're just so isolated, as it were, from the rest of the other magic economies that. Uh, they they've kind of developed their own um, internal pricing methods. Uh, cards are priced very very differently, uh, mainly because it's so it, it takes so much effort to get cards into and out of those countries. Yeah, uh, totally. Like realistically, the closest international place you're buying cards from would be like Singapore, uh, Southeast Asia, the Philippines. Yeah, I, I know I know from like talking to players that it tends to be the sites that have a lot of things in stock they use because they just want to have like one easy transaction because it's not cost effective to order like lots and lots of small things from like TCG player. It's just easy to use something like SCG or Card Kingdom and just get it all in, all in one go. Um, I think MTG Mint Card is another one that's quite popular and they offer fairly reasonable international shipping rates as well. Um, back when I was buying cards as a player and not as a, as a vendor, I was using Channel Fireball just because they always had stuff in stock. They were okay priced. And the dollar wasn't as horrible back then. Right, right. I think that's a big part of it. I think it, it's just gotten worse and worse for you. Like, yeah. And it just has made things more and more expensive. It makes it harder and harder. And it's very hard to restock as a store as well. Like, um, you're very limited to, like, we only have two GPs a year. So unless you're doing international GPs, which I, most of the Australian vendors aren't, you have to buy everything you can either in store or at one of those events. That's a great point. And Ed, I think we we are gonna see the same 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 sort of thing, I would think, with uh the UK potentially as the pound weakens. I know like we've seen oscillation in uh Japan's yen to dollar ratio, which is sort of bounced back and forth, but if the pound continues to drop, it's gonna be harder and harder for 
UK vendors to get cards back in stock for their players. So that's definitely a trend we could potentially see see coming. But Ed also knows way more about economics than I do. So we'll see. But you don't need a degree in economics to win a free $25 gift card from CoolStuffInc.com. So, Jim, who is our lucky winner of the week? Uh, our winner this week is Tony Taormina. I feel like Jeremy knows how to say that name and uh, just wanted to watch me crash and burn. So thank you for that, Jeremy. Uh, Tony asks, with more War of the Spark on the way and possibly eventually restock of Modern Horizons after it's out for a while, what is the best stance to take gun signals from these stats? We've seen a spike in Carnage of Fairy, but will restock level these prices? How does the cast feel about the sets, how, sets like this and positions on popular signals across all formats? Uh, I think that some of that question is a little vague, but uh, I think that the important thing to, to take from here is like, how do you feel about War of the Spark in Modern Horizons with a restock coming up? Um, I don't think that it's going to have a whole lot of impact on the price of the cards at this point. Um, Magic Online Redemption is probably the only thing that's really going to put any kind of dent into the price of cards if they are continuing to see the same amount of play and, and not like the, you know, the deck that they're in is just unplayable now. Um, because there are so many products coming out this summer and there's so many things for people to buy, it's unlikely that people like will buy sealed product of the war of the spark and open it now because you could just buy modern horizons. And then, you know, we're already into M 20 spoilers. And if you're a player that doesn't play modern, but you do play standard, then you're more likely to buy a box of M 20 or something like that. Like the thing that a lot of people think is that uh, restocks are like necessarily good for card prices. And, Honestly, I, I don't think it ends up being nearly as impactful as a lot of people want to believe it is. Um, there's just not a whole lot, like because of how quickly people want to buy the next best thing, the next new thing, they're unlikely to go back and actually purchase packs of, of sets that have been out for a while, especially if it's not the newest set. So, of the vast majority of the cards that are ever going to be opened for a set are opened in the release weekend. So, personally, I try to burn buy those singles when they first come out on release weekend because there's a lot of people listing cards that they don't need like people open booster boxes even though it's not a good proposition if you only want a small subset of cards and then they'll list them on tcg player or similar things on ebay that's i think one of the best times to buy because you'll get it close to what the bottom will be if this if the card isn't very good or doesn't see enough play to continue keeping its price but if it's a reprint set or a set with like more eternal playable cards like Modern Horizons, you also get you know the highest supply of cards that you're probably ever going to see at once. Um, there's a little bit of, of of caveat here. I think that like the Modern Horizons Grand Prix will have some kind of impact on the supply of the cards themselves. Like vendors will be able to be purchase them much more easily at the Grand Prix because they're uh, they're sealed. But I don't think that, like, the issue here is that there's not enough Modern Horizons for people to open. I think that, like, once M20 comes out and Commander 2019 comes out, like, people are just not going to open War of the Spark. They're not going to open Modern Horizons packs anymore. It's just 
it's not going to be interesting. It's not going to be exciting and not very even even after the reprint, there's not going to be a lot of, you know, supply going into the market unless there's like particular cards that are way out of control. Like if the Teferi was like a hundred dollars, like there'd be motivation for stores to open booster boxes. But then the and rest of the cards with stuff. Magic Origins. Yeah, yeah. With Magic Origins, when the Jace was like a hundred bucks, people would open boxes of Magic Origins just to get Jace. Uh, Vrune's Prodigy and, and not for any of the other things. So um, I think that there's a, if you're looking for like the mid tier singles or the highest, like the most impactful ones, you're unlikely to see any change in, in price based on a reprint. Yeah. Um, something of note, even though we just had DC, so expect tons of singles from Modern Horizons to be put online specifically this week. Over the first release weekend of Modern Horizons, some of the more popular cards went above their pre-order prices or stayed at their pre-order prices. Um, the Commander Fetchland, Prismatic, Vista, or whatever. Um, that one's like held its price point pretty well. And a lot of stuff has just completely fallen off the roof of uh, the house. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so we're just going to continue to see prices go down. Um the new Horizon Canopy lands have been pretty steady so far. Um, but just like what Jim said, as soon as people start focusing on cards that are not from these sets, these cards are going to start going back up. War of the Spark because it's in standard for a whole nother year. And Modern Horizons because we're not getting another supply right now, I think, until July from what people are talking about, where all the distributors are currently sold out. Um and then as newer players enter the format for Modern or Commander or whatever, they're going to keep purchasing these cards long after these boxes have been opened. I do believe that Wizard said this was print-to-demand, but we never really know how long that demand is where Wizards decides that it's sufficient for them to continue printing boxes. But I am curious to hear Ed's take on this because he was just at DC and he's going to be in Seattle this weekend. Um, I think you guys both hit the point pretty much on the head. I think Jim explaining that the fact that magic players always want to be moving on to the next new thing is really, really key here. Um, I imagine with the release of modern horizons, people are basically past buying war of the spark ever. Um, I just, I just don't see it like a huge scenario where people want going and say, Oh, you have war of the spark, uh, booster boxes back in stock. I want to buy one. Uh, people are probably looking to be buying Modern Horizons if they can afford it. Uh, we already have the first batch of spoilers coming out for Magic 2020, um, which is going to release in, what's the date today? The 15th or something? Yeah, it's like a month from now. I think. Less than a month from now. I think I think I had tweeted about it that it was going, today's the 17th, so it'll be out on the 12th. That's a little less than a month from now. Um, the fact that Magic is just, just pumping out procs so quickly and they're already expecting us to be excited about the next thing. Um, it, it makes old news become stagnant much faster. Uh, old news really becomes old news. Um, right. Like when was the last time any one of us has opened or even thought about Ravnica Legion's cards, right? Like Terramander, we had to open some for Terramander, but other than that, nope. Right, Ravnica Legions might as well have been a lifetime ago, and that was only in January, right? No one, no one is buying Ravnica Legions. No one's buying Guild of Guilds of Ravnica anymore. Um, and then, like that's for that very reason, we don't really see 
cards like Shocklands, some of the better cards, really crater in price mainly because you're buying them roughly as fast as you're selling them, but there's not more supply being injected into the market. Um, at recent GPs, the price on Shocklands have actually gone up. A lot of vendors have started to become much more bullish on them because they sell so quickly and there's, again, not really restock coming in. People aren't going to a prize wall and trying to open up a box of Ravico Legions, excuse me, to get their Shocklands, right? People are wanting War of the Spark or whatever, the most recent set. Um, and I imagine, like, in the case of more in-demand cards, Teferi was the one that was brought up. I don't really see Teferi going down in price. There's plenty of demand for that card. The card has proven that it's good in uh, eternal formats. It's good in standard. Um, there's there's just too much demand for that card. And without a bunch of people sitting down opening up more product, which there's no real incentive to at this point, because it's not, in theory, it's not really profitable with the amount that you have to open a guarantee to get the singles you want. And if there's only, if you're only looking for a few singles, namely the big one, bigger ones, Teferi, Karn, Gideon, etc., it's not really worth it to go through a whole box because you're just not going to be able to recuperate your value on the smaller rares alone. Uh, because the boat on those has sailed uh, because there's no one really needing your $1 to $5 cards anymore uh, because people have already picked those up. People are bottlenecked at, you know, $20 to fairies or something. <clears throat> oh, you guys haven't got your War of the Spark in Japanese yet in America, though. Do you think that'll affect the price? Uh, there, So there actually has been a small War of the Spark Japanese restock in America. Oh, okay. Um, it's not as, it's nowhere near as big as people had anticipated. Um, a lot of stores weren't able to get it. There were just so many people wanting them. Um, because realistically, this is the first time that it's been in America. Um, because the initial allotment was almost non-existent. And then what they have available now is basically allocated between every store in America that wants any amount of the product. Uh, so a lot of players are getting stretched really thin on them. A lot of distributors just didn't have that many to begin with. Um, and I imagine a lot of them are probably pretty wary to order more now that we already have Modern Horizons out and available. People are looking at that, right? And then someone had mentioned, uh, Jeremy had mentioned that with uh, Modern Horizons coming out in July, how many people are really going to be looking up to buy more Modern Horizons in July? Um, with the price for a box uh, at GPs, I think the cheapest I actually saw available at the GP, I think I think Channel had them for two twenty. Musu had them for two hundred. Musu had them for two hundred. That was probably the bottom. That's probably close to the bottom of what you're going to see. And I don't know how many boxes uh, you guys hold at Moose Loot. Um, but going forward, I don't imagine that people will want to be, buy, to be buying a ton of them at GPs. Because everyone's expecting the prices to drop. So it's, not, it's no longer worth it to spend $200 when you can just buy the singles that you need. And without people buying, without the customers buying the boxes, uh, retailers have low reason to restock them from distributors. Yep. So, Jim, where can Tony, who is watching the live cast, and he said you pronounce his name perfectly, where can he claim his credit, and how can people win next week? Well, thank you, Tony, for the flattery, but it will get you nowhere here. Maybe with Jeremy it gets you far, but not with me. Uh, you can send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com, and I'll get you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com the next time we cast. If you'd like to win next week, you can leave a question on the coolstuffing.com page that will go up uh, probably the day after the cast. All right. So we are into the back half of this year, almost at this point. We're almost halfway through the year already. 
we've had, you know, a ton of sets already and we still have commander and all this other stuff coming out at the end of the year. Um, I want one prediction from each of you about either a card or like a theme that we're going to see spike or be introduced by the end of the year. Can I cheat and tell you that I saw a spoiler for M20 and that like very strongly influences my pick here? I mean, I don't really care. Was it the ringleader that they just spoiled? Yeah, Goblin Ringleader is like yeah. the one missing card from like the 2000-ish era Goblins deck, and they've reprinted just about everything now in Modern. There's Skirt Prospector, Goblin Pile Driver, Siege Gang Commander, Goblin Ringleader, and Matron. Goblin War Chief. Well, the Matron was I don't I don't think Matron was legal at the time. Like the only thing that they're missing from the Onslaught era Goblins deck is Patriarch's bidding and gem palm incinerator okay this was a this deck existed in a time where like creature decks were just very bad they just were not good enough to ever beat decks that played spells so i'm not sure that this is good enough to be in modern but i think that there's definitely people that are going to try so if you have an affinity for goblins and you don't own them all already because you're waiting for like the final piece to to the puzzle uh, I think that ringleader is probably going to be the thing that that sends people over the edge to to go buy their goblin stuff. Uh, that being said, I don't actually think that that's the most influ- I don't think that's going to be the most influential card long term uh, out of out of like the future of of magic, especially this set. Um, the card that I'm most excited about right now is horde of notions. Oh boy. And why? And why? Oh man, I am. I like. I love really bad magic cards, and let me tell you, Horde of Notions is a pretty bad magic card. But that doesn't matter if people think it's good or think it's fun. Uh, it's a card that is only available in some very small print run sets. Uh, I believe it's a Lorwyn. I don't remember what set it's from. Uh, it's from Modern Masters 2015. Oh, and it's from Lorwyn, and it was rare both times. Uh, it's a five-color elemental thing that cares about lots of elementals in your deck. Um, so far, this set has a lot of elemental synergy cards in blue, red, and green that will synergize well with this. Uh, I think that the amount of elementals that are available at this point are like very close to it being a reasonable deck to play. And these cards that are being spoiled now are kind of the last things that you need to push it over the edge to making it actually good or at least good enough and, and, and exciting enough for people to want to build the deck. Um, five color mana bases are not nearly as expensive or as much of a problem as they used to be because of the number of five color commanders that have been released in the, previous years um you know we have niv mizzet which was in the last set or two sets no last set is in more of the spark um there was you know the five color dragons deck there's just like a lot of five color command or a lot of five color legendary creatures have been released recently um i think there, there's also two of them in uh modern horizons so like people get excited for this kind of stuff and they're not nearly as as uh pushed away when your choices of five color legendary creatures were like Chromat and Corona and just like a bunch of like, and progenitus, like those are the only things that you could play and they're just not very good or synergistic. These, de- these, these uh, 
new creatures allow you to play more synergistic cards in your deck and like get a theme that's more than just like you know here's here's my favorite spells in every color or whatever so i think that horde of notions in particular if it doesn't get a reprint in like the next commander set which i'm, I'm not expecting it to um but is not entirely impossible I think that this is the kind of card that will be showing up at a lot more kitchen tables uh, after the release of M20. Ed, what's one prediction you have before we get into pick of the week about something we're going to see or something we're going to see spike by the end of the year? Uh, I... I really like, um, I believe we discussed this before, I like a lot of the cheaper, uncommon Planeswalkers in War of the Spark. Um, I think a lot of them uh, have kind of proven that they have some sort of role somewhere. The fact that they have a static ability makes them a bit more robust, even if, uh, like, for example, Narset. I mean, obviously Narset is, like, quite busted for multiple reasons. The static ability is really what's driving it. Um, it's not terribly relevant that you can only use the minus two ability twice um before you know without with any sort of uh proliferate or counter strategy you can't really you know have get more activations out of it but um we started to see like a lot of them Sahili uh sees so playing some modern variations of um is it Phoenix? Uh I think a lot of them will eventually find a home. That's just kind of the nature of planeswalkers, the fact that they are just inherently very good threats. Um on their own, and the fact that again they provide some sort of static ability that will continue to stick around makes it so that you can't really just ignore the planeswalker. Um, and there's just no real good way to deal with them. Um, I think as a whole, it makes them uh, probably just reasonable spec targets across the board. Um, a lot of the cheaper ones are um, again not reasonable to uh, to just sit on even. Um, because if we go back and consider what we said about War of the Spark, right, who's really going to have these types of uncommons available in six months down the road? Like, how many sea healers are going to be out there that aren't already in decks? Um, because it's the, it falls in a card where it's realistically too cheap to put on buy list. You don't really want to be paying a quarter or 50 cents on it, even though it sells for, like, just under a dollar or whatever, so... And then, like, in theory, you'd have to pull out bulk or open more product for it. Um, so these are the types of cards I think they will climb slowly over time. Um, and that's not even taking account that, you know, people will be looking at Planeswalkers in new ways for Oathbreaker. Whether or not that's a, that you think it's a real format is how we interpret it. Obviously, people have talked about it. People seem excited to play it. Um, it may not necessarily be a big thing it'll never be the size of commander um but there's plenty of people out there that don't mind having both a commander deck and oathbreaker deck uh just to kind of give variation to to their normal style of play um so i think again these like i think the planeswalkers are very uncosted right now it doesn't seem right that planeswalker some some of them are like granted pretty bad but like Samet, for example, you can get it as little as like ten cents, fifteen cents, and to me that just seems ridiculous on them. So it wouldn't surprise me if most of these planeswalkers, at one point or another, found a home in some format somewhere. Uh, I think that the wizards will probably make a return to a tribal theme. Um, I've been like 
enjoying the release of sets lately. Um, Dominaria felt like a throwback, a nostalgia throwback to like people that played around the Onslaught Odyssey era and um, Time Spiral as well. Modern Horizons feels very much like a, a sequel to Time Spiral. Uh, the sheer number of legends in the Dominaria set sort of felt like a throwback to Kamigara as well. So I'm kind of expecting there to be a, a sort of big push towards a tribal set at some point in the future. Um, Modern Masters is one of my favorite sets, and I thought the barrier to entry on drafting that was really low from a skill perspective, um, someone that doesn't draft very often, being able to draft a tribal deck is awesome. So I sort of like all of the uh, the kind of Lord effects in um, in Modern. I think if a, if a tribal set really does get a big push, then those will all sort of jump up in price, and things like, you know, Sign of Uza, which I think is relatively cheapish and misbind clicks, you know, those might go up in price if, say, like a Fairies deck is able to emerge again. Um, this new set that just got released also has a ton of changings in it, which gives you lots of different little bits and pieces to slot into those kind of decks as well. So I think Tribal is a good pick. I think even with the Commander decks getting released at the end of the year, Soaring is going to hit $5. It's been creeping up and creeping up. And even though we're going to inject a bunch of supply before the end of the year, I think it's going to hit five bucks. So we'll see. Uh, I, I was listening to you, and I thought you said Sorin and not Soul Ring, and I was very confused. Yes, it's that Missouri accent. That's uh... sorry, man. Soul Ring rocks. I thought you knew that. Um, let's get into pick of the week. Um, I will not start. Ed, it is tradition for you to go first. Um, right now, I think I like Life from Alone. Uh, it, we've already seen it spike a bit. Uh, as soon as they started to announce the spoil, uh, Jesus, um, Cycling Lands, uh, when they announced those, that kind of led to the first spike. It had bottomed out at post, uh, 17 was uh, the bottom out last week. And uh, if before that, it was eight to nine dollars. Right, post post UMA, that that was the, the most recent printing that had gone quite cheap, um, and now we're looking at a bunch of graveyard strategies again. Obviously, Hodak is the kind of the one that's on everyone's radar right now. Um, barring that, dredge tr traditional dredge is still a strategy in modern. Uh, I think with the new cards, with uh, Ren and Six, uh, all these cards where land cards in your graveyard matters type thing. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that we do see a seismic loam deck or some variation on on its you know legacy derivative that this could come up. This is something that people haven't done yet because there hasn't been a major modern tournaments with modern horizons. Um, but I do think if one of those decks get going um, life from loam is the engine that's really going to push over the top and life from alone would be the one that would spike because it's probably going to be where it's uh, most constrained on supply and people will be needing those because any deck that plays them, it's basically a four of. Um, so I don't think it's price right now is necessarily unreasonable. Um, I imagine that it will probably dip a little bit before it goes up again. If it does go up again, it would be far enough in the future that um, it's, it'll probably go down a little bit from its high of like 20 right now, 2022 20, down to probably 15 again. And then when it does see play, it'll just explode in price again. And it will be much, much higher than it is right now. 
Um, I like Force of Vigor. It's the green one, right? Um, that card seems like it's well positioned to be an excellent sideboard card. Um, you know, and the commonly there have been like really good sideboard cards that have sort of just sat in like the three to four dollar range before finally jumping up to sort of like nine, ten, eleven things like Rest in Peace, Stony Silence, um, and Grafdigger's Cage. And it's just such a unique effect, um, being able to sort of pitch a card and discard it in modern, at least anyway. I think you like the closest thing to it is maybe Patrician Scorned, which has a slightly harder to deal with cause. Um, so I sort of like at the three to four dollar mark, I like grabbing a lot of that card and just sitting on it for a while because we're definitely seeing it being nine to ten dollars US, which is probably like fifteen dollars Australian. <laughs> Jim. Um, so my pick this week, uh, following my usual thing, is uh, Unbound Flourishing. I think that it's like unreal inexpensive right now. It's You can get them for $8 on TCG Player, and it's a Mythic in this $6 booster pack. Um, it's not quite doubling season, but in the decks where it is doubling season, it's just... You know, this is it's it's just that it's just so good that you mu- you have to play a copy. Um, I don't think that this is necessarily going to be like you know, oh, in a month it'll be twelve dollars. Like this is the it's going to gain a dollar every like six weeks for the next year, and you're going to look back and be like, oh man, these are twenty five dollars now. That's really sad. And then people are going to realize, oh, there's a new legendary creature or something that comes out that people really get excited for, and they want to go out and buy them, and then all of a sudden. It's you know a thirty forty dollar card because it hasn't gotten reprinted since then. So, so you would compare it to expropriate. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it's it's not as flexible as expropriate. It's hard to it's it, it's not as good as doubling season or expropriate uh, because the card doesn't read nearly as good. You have to play a bunch of X spells in your deck, and you don't necessarily want to do that. It doesn't work with just like every card that you're playing. So like there's there's a certain amount of it has to read well enough for people to be really excited for it. And I don't think it reads quite well enough for that kind of thing. Sure. But, you know, all we need is like, uh, you know, a commander deck that like a pre-con commander deck that has like, you know, an X spell synergy thing going on. And then all of a sudden everyone's going to want to buy a copy of it. You know, it's just like how happened to fist of the suns. It's what happens to basically any older card or any low supply card when a new legendary creature gets released that, you know, can leverage what it provides. Great point. I'm going to go with something that releases in two weeks. Can anybody, or sorry, next week. Does anyone know what this product is? Is it the myth, the spell book for Gideon? Yes. You've got a sharp mind, Jim. Um, this is coming out next week and people still have no idea what's going on. Um, Spellbook Jace is selling for like 30 now. They were 15 for a long time. I'm really interested in targeting, as I think we all have noted. Um, Path to Exile is going to be like half of its normal price. And this card always seems to rebound. I'm a little less bearish on Rest in Peace because Wizards has shown that they're willing to reprint it. So I feel like if in a year I could see Rest in Peace getting reprinted and it hurting the value of Rest in Peace more than Path getting reprinted in the next year where that won't hurt its um, price as much because path has just always been selling well. 
I don't think it's going to get the Swords to Plowshares treatment where they're all under a dollar an hour or whatever. I don't think Wizards will be reprinting Path enough in the next two years for it to significantly affect um, your return on this specific version of Path. The only thing I would caution against is if you're only going to make 2 to $3 on it, um, it's not a good flip because your profit mainly goes to shipping and fees. Um, but if you can get these in trade or something like that, I would highly recommend it as a pick. So very bullish on Path, sort of bullish on Rest, and I think True Conviction is going to be a bulk rare again, and I really want to target that as well. So I'm really happy about this product. How do you feel about Martyr's Bond? Uh, those have not even sold that well. We still have a lot from when the product first released an original Commander, and I know they're like $7 now or something stupid. Yeah, but this is also the first time it's available in foil, technically. Sure. So, you it's know, a great I'm, point. That's why you're the commander guy. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm the commander and, like, excessive shinies guy. That's, <laughs> that's the kind of person that I am. You are the crab from Moana. We understand. Oh, Tomatoa is definitely <laughs> a animal. We're on a first-name basis, let me tell you. Well, I, live, yes. I live in Florida. I live in Florida, and I've, I go to the Disney parks, like, fairly often. And you, I cannot, ex, I cannot express in words to you how sad I am that there is no Tamatoa merchandise for me to purchase. Uh, so you're feeling a little crabby. Well, guys, this podcast is. Let's go ahead and wrap up for the week. Where can people <laughs> find you? Guys? I'm talking to you, you? <laughs> Jim, where can people find you? My name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at phrosd underscore. You can find me on uh, Cool Stuff Inc. every other week, and you can find me on this lovely podcast every week. Uh, I'm Edwin. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Edwin13. You guys will find me behind the Tales of Adventure booth this weekend in Seattle and then next weekend in Dallas to round up the month. Uh, <laughs> I don't have social media, so you can find me at mtgmate.com.au. Um, and there's an email there at support at mtgmate.com.au if you want to ask me questions about the Australian market. Thanks for coming on again. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. Um, I have a 10K coming up. I'll be in Seattle, but not at the Grand Prix. I'll be at Dallas and at that Grand Prix, actually, because it's such an easy trip. Um, you can find this podcast at Cartel underscore Finance on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, MTG Cast, and, of course, our sponsors, CoolStuffInc.com. Thanks as always for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed this unique perspective on a specific global market. Thanks as always for listening. We appreciate your support. We have a Discord now, which is linked on Twitter. It is free to join if you made it this far. It mainly consists of people asking Ed questions. Um, but yeah, we have a Discord. So if you want to interact with us more personally, it's free. There's no Patreon. Just sign up through Twitter. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it, and bye-bye.